Romans 6, 3 through 11, and Ephesians 1, 15 through 23. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, in order that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, that our body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. In Ephesians 1, 15 through 23, For this reason I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Thank you, Felipe and Molly. That was, that was great. And thank you all for cramming in here. <laughs> Sometimes, hey, it's on. As you can see, we're, uh, we had to do a little bit of work to reawaken the old sound system down the hall here. Um, I don't think I was even going to church when you guys used to meet down here, when Oak Grove first started and you guys first started renting here. But this used to be, I think, more commonplace. I sensed that as Dan was talking through the old setup 
as you've kind of, oh yeah, I remember doing this every week. <laughs> Great idea, Derek. Um, no, it was all of our ideas, our idea, not just mine, but um, what a beautiful morning we've had so far. It's been great, and I, I just wanted to, today, I'm probably not going to say anything profound or new. Um, it's it's going to be a um, recap, not just on what we've been going through here at Oak Grove, but just in general of what God has done through the resurrection and the excitement and the joy that we have um, as a result of that. So let me just pray as we start. And we'll, we'll look at the Word of God today. God, thank you, thank you, uh, just for the power of the resurrection. And it doesn't matter how many years, how many Easter's uh, we go through and we look specifically at this, God, it just, it blows us away at the power that was demonstrated through Christ. I pray you just excite our hearts, help us to have the same passion, the same excitement about this as Paul had, and as the early church had, and as as your church has had throughout the centuries, God, so that we may take that forward uh, into coming generations. I just pray you would awaken that in us today and help us to live in the light of the resurrection. In your name we pray. Amen. Over, um, over the past few decades in film, entertainment, literature, um, there's been a subtle war that's been going on. And um, frankly, if I'm honest, I think it's already been won by our enemy. And this war has been against the novelty of the resurrection. And it's kind of one of those flank attacks, the ones that we don't always see. You know, there are, of course, the outright attacks against the resurrection. It didn't happen, or Jesus wasn't a real historical figure. And those are out there um, and have been going on for centuries as well. But Recently, this one's kind of come in and undercut some stuff, and I, I was thinking about it, and I've noticed it more and more. I don't know when it started, but it's this idea that when you watch a movie or read a book or something, uh, the main character gets killed off and then comes back. And, and it's, ooh, you know, it always shocks you and stuff. Um, I was trying to figure out where the first time this really started happening, because it seems like it used to be ground that was more carefully tread upon, because I, I think filmmakers and, and artists knew that they were treading on a little bit of literal holy ground when they would cross this line of you bring someone back from the dead. So they do it kind of through sleight of hand, you know, maybe it was some coma, or they got frozen, or they took some drug where their heart stopped and it looked like they were dead. Maybe Snow White was the first one. I don't know um, how long this has been going on, but it seems to be getting more and more bold. And honestly, it's kind of weird. You can do what you want with it. It seems that Disney pushes it more than the others, and now they own almost everything in film. It's everywhere. But um, I think if any of you guys, I know I'm breaking a rule here of mentioning popular movies, but if anyone watches Avengers series, you know, this week is the week where we find out if the Avengers come back to life after they all died in the last movie. So... This is very common in our culture of this idea uh, of like the, the character or the villain coming back to life. And the reason I say it's an attack is because it's done two things. It's minimized that that's a really big deal. That doesn't happen in real life, actually. <laughs> it doesn't, doesn't really happen. But our culture has made it so commonplace that it's kind of like, yeah, big deal. Jesus came back from the dead, so did Phil Coulson, so did the Avengers, you know, whatever. They're, they're used to this idea. But what's also scary, the other side of how it's bad, 
is um, it's taken the story of Jesus and made it just another story of, yeah, well, we've been hearing, you know, that was just the first piece of popular literature uh, 2,000 years ago is kind of almost how it's treated. So today when you say, do you know Jesus rose from the dead? It just doesn't have the same weight. It doesn't have the same um, power. But when we read this in Ephesians, as we've been going through, as Jerry's been going through, and we read in verse 19, there's this immeasurable greatness, immeasurable power that was worked. Power of the universe that formed the universe that can't even be measured was demonstrated in raising a man who had been dead three days from the dead. That is a very big deal. So today I, I hope that we can um, wipe the slate clean and kind of be captured again and raptured by that idea again. We're going to go through, uh, as you guys, if you've been here, you've seen that Jerry's been going through Ephesians chapter 1, and he's just about gotten through it. We're going to start in chapter 2 soon. So I thought today would be a great opportunity to go back through chapter 1, point out some highlights, maybe come at them from a few different angles, um, and, and look at some of the stuff that God's been teaching us through Jerry, but also um, just what he's been teaching us through the book of Ephesians. And there's a few things that I think really stand out about this book that, um, that I wanted to highlight today. Um, when, um, when Jerry started going through Ephesians back, um, as you guys know, at Oak Grove, we've been trying to focus on the theme this year of knowing and serving Christ. And when Jerry started um, back in March preaching through Ephesians, he brought up a, a really good point that I think we should look at, and that's the fact that if you look at the book of Ephesians, Usually, the passages we turn to, the most common ones, are in the latter half of the book, chapters, latter half of chapter 4 through um, chapter 6. And the reason we usually turn to those is because they have all the to-dos in them, all the, all the action stuff, you know, as far as marriage or as far as, um, you know, employee-employer relationships, uh, as far as just speaking and building each other up in love, as far as spiritual warfare, all that stuff is, is in the latter half of the book. And Jerry brought up the fact that um, all of that has to do with serving Christ. But before we can get to that, serving Christ, we need to first know Christ. And that's what the first half of the book is about. So we have been looking at that. And, um, and Jerry, as we've gone through chapter one, has been really looking at the concept of seeing Christ and treasuring Christ for who he is. And, um, and I hope you guys have been excited about that. That's where this concept came from. Of, um, of walking with Christ and waking up and saying, you know, what is your heart for the day? That has to do with knowing Christ. It's saying, Jesus, what is your heart? What do you, where do you want to go today? What do you want to do? Who do you want to talk to um, through me as we walk along? As I read through um, Ephesians 1 um, over and over as preparing this and trying to see also not just, you know, what we've been learning here, but trying to look at what was Paul saying also I kept getting this feeling that, that, especially the first chapter, is Paul saying something similar to, don't you get it? Don't you, really, don't, don't you understand what happened at the cross? Don't you understand what it means to be resurrected with him when you believed in him? And I feel like Paul is almost shouting it through these pages with just the, He's so excited about this, and maybe it's just I've gotten so excited that I read that into it, but I, I think I, I would be on with that and seeing this, especially 
in the latter part, um, the part that Bill just read to us, we see this excitement of just, don't you get it? I heard about your faith and love in Christ. Like, let me, let me take a moment just to explain what really happened here. And that's the excitement that Paul has. So I hope we can, I feel that the Lord is urging us towards that same today. So I hope we can get that. As we go through um, chapter one today, I'm going to take three passes through it. And we're going to do a little bit of work together on it too. Um, but I want to just kind of go through um, pulling out some highlights out of, out of chapter one. And I think this first part is, is good for all of us to do. It's good for you to do in your own Bible study where you look at a passage and you try to find thought breaks. You try to see, okay, well, he starts talking here. What's he talking about? Realize we're dealing with a, a text that's 2,000 years old. So it sometimes takes a little bit of study, obviously, to look at that. But you kind of look and you can see like, what, what's he saying? So what I've done is I've broken it into chunks, and um, I'll give you what the chunk is, which verses, and I want you guys to discuss at your table or around your group and kind of uh, come up with an idea as to what you think each section is, okay? Um, we're just going to go up through, um, well, I'll tell you when we stop, but I'll give you the first one, verses 1 through 2, introduction. Okay, easy. That, was, that wasn't that hard, right? So verses... Verses 3 through 6, um, if you were to look at that and you were to summarize it in your own words, uh, what would you say that that's saying? Go ahead and discuss as a group real quick. Verses 3 through 6, what, what do you think that says? I'm going to grab a glass of water. Don't overthink it. I'm thinking like five or six words. All right, what do you got? Raise your hand. Something. Should, if, you're, if you're talking about it for too long, you're probably overthinking it. What do you think those verses would say? God's plan before he created the world. Great. What else? What else do you see that Paul is saying to us, to the Ephesians? Blessings of salvation. You're blessed. Blessings through Christ, freely given through grace. Absolutely. Good. All right, that's great. That's great. Okay, let's do the next section. Verses 7 through 8. A couple verses. Should be short. What do you guys think that's saying? Paul was given grace to teach unfathomable riches to the world. Yes, very good. What was that? Redeemed us through his blood. Yes, we have redemption 
forgiveness, through grace. Good. Okay, and what do you think about verses 9 through 10? If you were to put that in your own words, just summarize it. You guys are getting more and more timid. <laughs> Anyone, what do you see? What, what's the theme that he's talking about in verses 9 through 10? Go ahead, Leah. Sarah said, uniting everything in Christ. Thank you, Leah. Yeah? This was a mystery. is something that was uh, something previously unknown that he was going to do, unite all things in Christ. Okay, and then look at verses 11 through 14. This is the last one I'll make you do. If you were to summarize that in your own words, what's the main point that Paul is, is pushing through there? I know there's a lot there. 11 through 14, though. See if you can boil it down to a sentence or so. like that. Don't lose heart. We win in the end. That's good, Paul. Anyone else? That's pretty good. That's almost a sermon title in itself. <laughs> so, if we were to look down through here, in verses 1 through 2, introduction. Verses 3 through 6, we're blessed in Christ. 7 through 8, he lavished grace and forgiveness on us. Uh, verses 9 through 10, mystery to unite all things in Christ was revealed. 11 through 14, we win in the end. Uh, we also have an inheritance promised, guaranteed by the Spirit. Like I said, this is good for you guys to do in, in Bible study and stuff. Try to take it and put it in your own words, because at least if you're like me, it sticks a lot longer, because you can look and say, oh yeah, I remember chapter 1. It was about these five things, instead of memorizing the whole thing and trying to get that. Memorizing is good too, but um, summarize, it's good. The last point that was brought up, um, this inheritance that's talked about, it's re-echoed if you looked in verses 18 through 23, and he talks really kind of almost uh, expands on that concept, and that's a lot of what um, the last one's there. And actually, verses 15 through the end of the chapter, this is where I really feel that Paul is saying what I said at the beginning, the, don't you get it? Do you really get it of what Jesus did for you? He hears of their faith and love, and he's just, his prayer is that they really understand what's going on. So that was kind of a first pass through, picking out some, some highlights. There's something else, if we took a second pass through these, that I wanted to highlight, that honestly I hadn't ever seen until I was studying this. But, uh, and I might, I could be rounding up here and trying to fit it. I don't know, you guys can tell me. But I realized as, as I looked at this that chapter one is very much almost a, an introductory paragraph to the whole book. He touches briefly on themes that he's going to talk through for the rest of the book. So for instance, verses 7 through 8 that talk about grace and forgiveness, well, what's chapter 2 about? For by grace are you saved, through faith. And he really expands on that grace. Um, verses 9 through 10, he talks about the mystery of the gospel, and he really goes into detail on that in chapter 3. So 9 through 10 is almost like an introductory to what we see in chapter 3. 
And um, in verses 13 through 14, he talks about how we have the Spirit. And in chapter 4 of Ephesians, you see spiritual gifts, how they're given to build each other up and for building up. So you see that. Verses 22 through 23, you see um, that he talks about um, Christ being head of the church, and that's the basis of the, the picture for marriage that we see in chapter 5. And verses 21 through 23 talk about that positional authority that Christ has, and that's the foundation for the spiritual warfare talk in chapter 6. So he really kind of gives these little highlights, almost teasers, as to what he's going to double-click on later and go into de detail as he goes through the book. So it's, a really, it's another thing that's really neat about um, chapter 1, that um, it's kind of, if you want to look... You know, and you see him talking about this mystery, you can look deeper into that as you read through the book. The third pass, though, through chapter one that I want to do is the one that I'm really excited about. Um, that really is what, um, what we celebrate today and, and how it ties into the resurrection. So if you go back through and you look at least to the first uh, 14, well, three through 14, uh, those verses, except for one verse in there, every one of them has a common theme in the verse. Can any of you guys pick out what it is? Eight is the only exception. So you can look through from verse 13 up through 14. What do you see that is a recurring theme that he uses in some way, he phrases in, in a little bit different way, but he addresses? Does anyone see it? In him, in Christ, in the beloved. Verse three, we see we are blessed in Christ. Verse four, he chose us in him. Verse 5, we're adopted through Christ the Son. It implies that he's a son. We're just sons and daughters as we are in him. Okay? Verse 6, we're blessed in the beloved. That's him. Verse 7, we have redemption in him. Verses 9 through 10, there's a purpose mystery revealed to unite all things in him. Verse 11, we've obtained an inheritance in him. Verse 12, hope is in Christ. Verses 13 through 14, we are sealed in him when we believe and given the Holy Spirit as a guarantee of that inheritance we have in him. Now, I'm reading from the ESV. Maybe your translations don't have that many, and maybe it just fell that way to me. But as I read through this, I thought, man, that's a lot of in hymns. He must be saying something. This must be really important. And as we look at the fact that chapter one is kind of an introduction to the rest of the book, and as it touches on all those scenes, it must be really important for Paul to lay this foundation of being in Christ. And as he gets to this point of saying, don't you get it? Don't you understand what happened? I think it has specifically to do with this. Don't you understand what it means to be in Christ? in him in his death, in him in his resurrection, in him in his life. Sometimes you can see things um, through reverse logic. Um, I'm that way, so I look at this, and I, I was thinking about um, how differently would these verses read if he had said something like, um, you were adopted because of him, or because of him you have an inheritance, or because of him you have redemption in his blood, because of him you fill in the blank. And those things are all true. Because of him, we have positional authority. But, but that's not the point that Paul was making in this passage. Um, he's not just... Because when, when you have it, if you look at them differently like that, 
you know, as far as because of him, you have uh, an inheritance. That's kind of like you're outside the picture. God did this work and he gave you something. And in a sense, I don't want to like downplay that too much because it is true. But the point that's so profound in this is that we have an inheritance because we have Christ's inheritance, because we are in him. Whatever Christ receives from the Father, we receive. That is a big deal. And that, that should blow our minds. Because it's, I don't know, I, I, the more I've been thinking about that throughout this weekend, I, I realize I think um, I miss that. And it's not that Jerry hasn't talked about this. He used the analogy over and over of the idea of like the book he got that analogy from Watchman Nee. If you put a book in the fire, if you put something in the book, well, it doesn't matter if you put it in there. It now becomes one with the book. The book burns. Uh, same kind of thing. Like anytime you have like a host, um, and uh, you know, uh, well, if you're in like a in an airplane, um, if the airplane takes off, you say you took off. You know, if the airplane lands, you land. If the airplane crashes and burns, you usually crash and burn. You, whatever happens to the airplane. <laughs> Sorry, that's really doom and gloom. Um, and then you're raised to life, if you trust in Jesus. Um, but what happens to the thing you're in happens to you. And that's, that's the point of this. So again, what happens to Christ happens to us. If Christ is blessed by the Father, we have that same blessing. If Christ is seated above all principalities and powers, we have his position. Um, we are literally in him on the throne. And that, when you look at that and you say, well, hold on, that sounds really weird. That, that's the point. This is the mystery. This is, this is why it's so mind-boggling. This is why it was so world-changing. It's because it's very revolutionary to say that kind of stuff. I, uh, I listened to a song this last week that was dealing with... Um, resurrection and, and Christ, and it made um, a reference into it that got my mind going, but it, uh, it talked about how Christ, in completing his work on the cross, when he arrived at, at afterwards or whatever, that God said, um, well done, good and faithful servant. And I was thinking how usually when we hear that, we think of that as we all want to get to heaven, and we want to hear those words from God. We want him to say, well done, good and faithful servant. I can tell you right now, if you've trusted in Christ, you will hear those words. And do you know why? Because Christ, the suffering servant, has the Father saying to him, well done, good and faithful servant. And if we are in him, we have his reward. We have his blessing. In some ways, that's controversial to us because... If we're honest, we kind of want to get a little bit for what we did here on earth. We want to get a little bit of reward. Wait, wait, all the glory goes to Christ? I know we sing that, but is that really what we're, what's going to happen? But yes, it is. In him, we have the reward that the Father has promised to the Son. We also have many other things. We have his blameless life, his righteousness. That's in verse 4 if you look here. In verse 5, we see that we're considered a son or daughter in Christ, not just alongside or addition, not like a new son that God made, but because we're in him, we're considered a son or a daughter. The redemption that comes through his blood alone we have in him, verse 7. 
verses 9 through 10, we have a new identity that's no longer tied to race or gender or earthly status, but who we are in Christ. It's tied now to who he is, not who we were. That stands out in our culture as being highly offensive. Because you've got to lay down your, your identity, which is all what our culture is about. I'm going to talk about that in just a second, too, a little bit more. Verses 11 through 12, we have an inheritance to be revealed in the life to come. That's through him. And the seal of the Spirit comes because we are in him. The same fellowship that the Trinity has, this is why the Holy Spirit being part of us is such a big deal. It's, it only is possible if we are in Christ. Once we're in Christ, we get to get in on this fellowship that the Trinity has. That's why the Holy Spirit is given us. Being in Christ is a very big deal. But what it comes down to, and I just touched on it, for us is a question of identity. And this is where it gets a little tricky for us because we live in a world that idolizes self-image, self-respect, self-expression, um, self-worth, self, 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 everywhere. And we're attacked more than we realize by this. We are told to put our identity, to have our own personal, this is who I am, this is my self-expression, this is who I, I, I feel I need to be and who I feel I need to demonstrate myself as. And as Christians, I think a lot of times we'll oppose about 80% of that, but we still subtly buy into about 20%. Sometimes we even do it by opposing the world, and we become so wrapped up in opposition to what is evil and wrong out there that that actually becomes our identity. And it's because we have a tricky nature that wants to be God. It wants to have that identity. It wants to say, God, I'll give you 99%, but can I just have a little bit, 1% of me? Like, can I just have a, a, a little thread hanging on? And I mean, I'm standing up for something good. I'm known for being something good. I have, you know, people know me as being this or that. And although it's almost there, God says, no, I need you to come to the cross and die. Go back over to um, Romans chapter 6, which Bill also read here as we started. Because we can't really talk about this without talking about Romans 6. And again, none of this is new today. Jerry's talked about this in the last few weeks. I'm just mentioning it as a reminder because it, it all deals with the resurrection that we celebrate today. And I, I just, it all ties in there. But Romans chapter 6, when we look at this, Paul, who also wrote this letter, is making a case there um, that's very similar to what he's doing in Ephesians. <coughs> uh, he talks about, in verse 3, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. This aspect of we want to have the risen life of Christ. We want to, to know what that power is, what it looks like to be in Christ and living in Christ and have the, the benefits and the rewards and the blessings and, and see what that's like. If you really want to live that in your life, something else first has to happen. You can't just identify with the resurrection. You have to identify with his death. And to do that, it means laying yourself down. There's nothing new about this message. 
we most, I think I can say confidently, almost everyone in this room has heard this for quite a few years, but our flesh rises up and rises up. And it's been said before, a living sacrifice wants to crawl off the altar, but that is the challenge we face. So we have to, Paul talking to believers here, he's telling them all this, but he's not talking to them saying, this is the roadmap to salvation because these are believers already. He goes through all this. He says, you've got to keep counting yourself. And when you look, he talks about first, when you die, the chain is cut. You're broken from that power to sin before. And that's what he talks about in verses um, eight, or sorry, six and seven. But as much as he talks about these as things that happened at the cross and everything, by the time he gets to verse 11, he still tells them, so, because all this is true, because when Christ went to the cross, you died with him, your old self went with him, because that is a truth, so, consider yourselves dead to sin. And that's saying, remind yourself. Keep reminding yourself. Keep taking yourself to that cross. Every time you have an identity issue where you think you need to rise up and express yourself and this needs to be me and I need to show the world who I am, even if it's tainted with I need to show the world who I am through Christ, be careful. Be very careful. Leave that old person on the cross because when you do, that is when you can experience the life of Christ, of being raised with Christ. And this is, again, why I said this part is so offensive to the world that we live in. But we, we have to, if we're going to revolt against the world that is around us and against the enemy, this is what it looks like. It looks like dying to ourselves. It looks like letting go of our independence and saying, yeah, I'm actually okay with the God calling the shots for my life. You should try it. That doesn't fly well in our world, but it is the power of the cross that takes us to the power of the resurrection. Now, this concept of Jesus 24-7 that Jerry's been talking about, um, we've already kind of touched on a few times today, but um, just this idea of waking up and and seeking God's heart and saying, Jesus, where do you want to go each day? Um, I, I wanted to kind of add to it a little bit, maybe not add to, but just add a little caution. And this comes strictly from looking at my own life and how I've tried to flesh this out. Maybe you guys have seen the same thing. But um, when, when you start off with this, you start pretty well. I think you wake up, you say, okay, Jesus, where are we going today? And you go out into your day and you go about and you go to your job and stuff. And, and the first few days go pretty good. But then after a few days, I don't know if you guys are like this or not, but I, I found that it was, it was more like, Jesus, you ready to go? I got to get going. Anyone else? Okay. So it, it's, more like, it's more like this uh, dragging Jesus along through your day. And, and it's really hard for us to wrap our mind around, okay, okay, I need to come and I need to surrender my identity. I need to die to everything that I am. Well, what do I do? Because we're still in the grave. Quite often, I think 99%, God raises you up and says, I'm still going to have you go back to work as a real estate broker or as a PG&E lineman or whatever you do for your job, you're still going to be doing the same career that you have, but this time I'm driving. You're not. You get in the back seat. It's not Jesus is my co-pilot. It's I'm in the back seat and dad's driving. It's, it's, it's this 
authority thing. And you might go through the same steps, meet the same people, the same barista, you go to the same Bible study at night, but you're going to go through it very different. And because of this, it's a very, um, it's a subtle but very profound shift in the way that you view your day. And I really do think it's the difference of walking with Christ versus walking in Christ. They are different, though they're similar. A lot of times when we try to walk with Christ, it's more like, well, Jesus, I'm trying to please you. I'm trying to do what you want. But there's a huge relief when you can let go of that and you just say, all right, Jesus, how do you want me to treat my employees today? How are you going to treat your employees through me today? And it, it takes a while to get that, that thinking changed, but I really do think that's, that's what it means to live in Christ. It's, it's a lot easier to go through life that way. It's a lot um, easier to resist evil. And when you think about that, it's a lot easier to even consider yourself, I mean, when we look at world events and politics and things and you get all freaked out, well, you're not going to get so freaked out when you start realizing, you know, in Christ, I'm over all this. He's over all principalities and powers. And it's not just that he's saying, hey, don't worry down there, I got it. You're with him. You're with him over that. There's no reason to get stressed out about this stuff. You're with him up there in the heavenlies. Your identity has to be traded in for his. And when you do, it's actually quite relieving. So this is where we come to the importance of the resurrection and why Paul, I think, if you go back over to Ephesians, why he is making such a big deal about this. When he looks at them and he sees their faith and love and says, you really need to, I need to write you a letter because you need to understand what it means to be in Christ. When you put your faith and your hope in Christ and, and his resurrection and his life, his death on the cross, let me explain to you actually what that means because it's, it's probably more than you realize. And that's what the purpose of this letter is all about. But it's also... Again, we talked at the beginning how resurrection has lost its novelty in our world, but this is where it just blows up into this incredible power. Not just the fact that it is literally a really big deal for someone to rise from the dead, but the fact that he not only did that, but he took us with him. That is this immeasurable greatness and power that we read of here. Another thing um, I wanted to, as we kind of get towards closing here, two things I wanted to highlight. Jerry brought up the idea of the truth vault, and I don't know about anyone else, but that really resonated with me because my whole life has been, um, has been truths being poured into me uh, with godly family, um, parents and grandparents and heritage on both sides, um, with Christian school and Bible college, and then godly in-laws, and like, it, I've just been spoiled spiritually, and there's so many of these truths that have been poured into me that I go, wow, that's a really big deal. I should preach a sermon on that, and then I do, and then it just gets locked away. I don't live it out, and I think the, the resurrection is one of these that um, I almost had to, like, bludgeon myself into, like, Derek, do you get it? And I just kept this, this last week, just really hit myself with it. Not literally, I wasn't hitting myself with the Bible, but just, just over and over, like, Derek, do you get it? And, and I think it, as it, I came towards the end of this week, I really realized it's been something that's locked in the truth vault for me, too. 
that I haven't really understood the power of this resurrection, what it means to, to walk in Christ, to, to have all the benefits and the blessing. And I'm not even sure if standing up here today I still get it. I'm striving towards this with you guys. But um, I would encourage you, if you're like me and you have locked it up and it, it's kind of lost its novelty to you, we come an to another Easter and you're kind of like, oh, well, yeah, this is the time of year where we talk about bunnies and Jesus. If it's just little and, and minuscule to you, it's not the pinnacle of the year, then spend some time today um, just, just meditating on this. Let Paul's enthusiasm just scream at you and, and just really rock you of, do I get it? Paul was really worked up about this. Ask yourself that. And, and one more thing. This is the second point to close. Once you do get it, find someone who's a new believer or someone maybe, we've been, Jerry's been having people come up and share testimonies, okay? Once you hear of their faith and love, just like Paul did of the Ephesians, go to them, say, do you get it? Share that. I mean, I've asked God for that enthusiasm that Paul's given, and I've gotten a little taste, and so I'm standing up here passing along to you guys, but you guys do it too. Find someone and, and share that enthusiasm. If you've got to, take them through Ephesians. That's fine. But um, I think Paul set a good example there of, of writing this letter, and I think we can take that as well. I'm excited to see where Jerry goes as we go through this in the next few weeks, as we continue to look at that. And um, I do just hope that all of us, as we get a fresh look at our risen Lord, that we, um, we fall more and more in love with him, and um, we're just more excited as we walk in him. But um, today... We celebrate the fact that he is risen. Let's pray. Father, um, thank you for the power that you demonstrated in the cross, but also in the resurrection. You overcame everything, every obstacle that man could place, um, even his ones to try to get back to you in his own strength. I thank you for um, the spirit that is our guarantee that shows us that we, we can be in Christ. But just, Lord, I, I pray for everyone in here that we would all just have the hearts, um, our hearts just awaken to see this, to really understand what it means to be in you, in Christ, seated at the right hand of the Father today. Um, we love you, God, and we celebrate your name, and uh, we just give you this day with, with everything that we can. In your name we pray. Amen.